0: The listeners. Good evening. I am your host, Anthony Drago. We're in for another episode of This Week in Interview. 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. On a Wednesday, we have this program where I have the honor to have conversations with interesting persons, people who have accomplished stuff in their life, people who, because of their work experience, have information that they can share with us. And so tonight is no exception. I am very excited about the conversation that I'm going to have tonight with our special guest. And I want to say welcome back to you, my regular listeners. You know I don't take your your time for granted. I'm really, really appreciative of the fact that you make me part of your weekly schedule. So welcome back. I hope you had a great week since last week, Wednesday. If tonight is the first night that you're going to be listening to the show, I hope that we achieve our objectives with you. Our objective is to is to talk to you about stuff that's going to stimulate you, not only into thinking, but into action through the conversations that we have with our guests. This week in interview is a production of TDNradio.net. And of course, you can go on there and in our archives, you can find um, copies of our previous shows. You can download them or you can stream it live. As usual, before we start, I always do the carry-command theme because those of you who are familiar with the show know that one of the things that I'm very passionate about is Caribbean unity. I don't think that the Caribbean islands can continue in any kind of successful way if we continue as individual specks of sand floating in the Caribbean or Atlantic, Caribbean Sea or Atlantic Ocean. And so I always play the Caricom Anthem. At least once a week you hear it. It reminds you of that dream when we can be one people. But well, we already behave as one people. It's just our politicians and our leaders that we need to lead in that direction. So let's listen to the beautiful Mikael Henderson as she does the Caricom Anthem. If you're going to hear it for the first time, I'm sure you're going to be fascinated by by this song. So welcome to this weekend interview. Let's hear Michele Henderson. And we take a word from our sponsor. And when we come back, I promise you, we're going to have a very special guest on tonight that um, hopefully um, will keep in the vein of this weekend interview and um, stimulate you to thinking about life in the Caribbean and what we can do to make it better. Let's listen to Mikel though, first. From
1: many distant lands, our forefathers came. Some seeking adventure Some bound in chains Through battles waged and fought Through victory and pain By test of their courage Our freedom was gained In homage to those gone before The heroes of lands in the sun We vow to join hands and to focus On building one Caribbean Raise your voices high And sing of your courage.
0: Accomplished quite a bit. Um, full full disclosure: he and I were classmates at grammar school, so I, I am really very honored and very pleased to reconnect with him on on T D N Radio. And I, I I don't want to spend a lot of time um, talking before I bring him on. But our guest tonight on this weekend in interview is none other than um, Clement Joseph. Clement is the is a senior. Public prosecutor in his Turks and Caicos Island, so I'm going to bring him on and give him a warm welcome, and he'll give us a background on on on, on himself. And so, Clement, welcome, welcome to this weekend interview. It's such a delight to have you on.
2: Thank you, Mr. Drago. Probably this will be the only time I will formally see Mr. Drago. <laughs> yeah. I've, known you. <laughs> I've been known you affectionately as Tony for all these years. and um, It's been a while since we last connected. It's been a long
0: time. I don't want to date us, but I mean, we graduated. We graduated high school in 1983, right? Yes, yes, we did. When I see that, my kids look at me like I'm ancient. 1983.
2: We we, we probably were about five. We were children prodigies, so we probably was about we were about five Five at that time. Yes. And we are still in our teens. That, yes it was. <laughs> you
0: know, I mean life has taken us through a, a very interesting journey. So uh, when, yeah. when, you know, when we reconnected and um, you, you know you you are uh, a uh, uh, prosecutor public prosecutor, it takes and kick us again we yes. uh, you know, like we ask, you know we, our, our life takes us in different directions and we end up in different places. But um, mm-hmm. just by way of background, let's talk a little bit so we can set the stage, you know. Um, yes. Well, like I said, we graduated grammar school together in the in the eighties, um, and basically, you know, at that time, you know, teenagers still, yeah, and you know, yeah. trying to forge away. I know, I know for a little while that you were uh, in the Dominican police force, right?
2: Yes, I was.
0: Mm. Yeah. So, so th- trace us quickly through <clears throat> your your route from from Dominica as a as a as a police as a police officer. And uh, All right. and and how you got to where you are. I, where you are right now is not very far removed from from being no. a policeman, it's still law enforcement. But I'm sure there is right. a whole um, a whole trail from here to there. So let's walk us through yeah. a little bit of that. All
2: right. I I think um, to start, I'm, I'm going to say that it's been so long time that we graduated. So your memory seems to have been failing you. You have to remember when there was Hurricane David and um, Saint Andrew's High School opened. And I transferred to St. Andrews High School. So, though we graduated school from 83, I really didn't graduate from the grammar school. (laughs) Because I I left to graduate. (laughs) Really? No, I went to to St. Andrews after Hurricane David. Uh, So... Why was it that everything so well? Wow. Because I guess you gave so much trouble in school, so that I mean... probably. But after graduation from school, I had about good three, three, four years before I became an adult. Um, so I basically hung around, a little jobs by a little temporary jobs as teacher, etc. in the community, post office, and then eventually became 18. And um, I have a brother who was in the police force, and he um, he encouraged me to join the police force. But I thought I was so small, so those who know me now, if they knew me then, um, <laughs> would be surprised. <laughs> I was probably
0: the only person who was more than three I right?
2: <laughs> but I eventually joined the police force and um, spent about roughly five years there and then I migrated to the US and in, in the spirit of things I actually wanted to go to college and I went to go do a placement test with Broward Community College at the time and when I went to pay for the, for the classes, I had about $40. And they told me both classes would run me about $800. <laughs> uh, I, I just didn't have that. I didn't have that amount of money. And I left the, the the office. It's in a shopping plaza. They had a satellite office there. And I walked out, and there is a recruiter conveniently standing across you know, the plaza in his office. And the Puerto Rican guy called me and he told me, what if I told you... If you join the army, you only have to pay
1: 10%
2: <clears throat> of that to go to school. And I'm like, you must be joking. And uh, the rest is history. <laughs> so you joined... The- I joined the, I joined the US. Yeah. Are, what, what, what branch did you uh, So I, I don't regret it. The, the US army. It was the US army. Mm-hmm. I spent 14, 14 wonderful years in there. Um, I got to travel. I got to know quite a bit of the world. I met hundreds Mm -hmm. and and, and tens of thousands of people I got to know. I got to interact with people of different cultures, everything else of that nature. Mm -hmm. So my military career took me to um, Fort Knox, Kentucky for basic training, Fort Benjamin Harrison, Indianapolis for advanced individual training. Mm -hmm. And then my first full duty station was at Schofield Barracks, Hawaii, where I spent three years. And then I came back to Philadelphia, where I worked at a military entrance processing station. That's where, when people join the military from all branches, Army, Marines, Navy, Air Force, um, Coast Guard, that's where they all come and process before they go to their respective um, branches. I stayed there for two years, and then (coughs) I got the experience of a lifetime where I got to go to Fort Jackson, South Carolina, to be a drill sergeant. And drill uh, sergeant. <laughs> that, 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 as I said, yeah, that was the experience of my life. I spent two years there. Um, and from there, I moved on to Fort Silo, Oklahoma, then to the DMZ in South Korea. Oh, wow. In an infantry battalion. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually did human resources, but every unit... Um, has a human resource manager, so I went to a, an infantry um, air assault battalion up in the DMZ. I spent a year there, and then I transferred down to Seoul, where I was in a medical battalion where we had three, two air comp- two ground ambulance companies, and two air ambulance companies. We had Black Hawks, so I love the idea of flying the blackhawks just for fun the pilots wanted to make up flying time for every fiscal year so that was fun and then i came back to california where i spent probably roughly a year and then that was 14 years wow (laughs) and uh, everybody's 40 20 years to retire but i just became you know i just had enough i just had enough and i got out my mom was, you know, aging, and I, I wanted to be with her, so I came back to Dominica. By then, I had accomplished, I had gotten a, a bachelor's degree from Thomas Edison University, then Thomas Edison State College out of New Jersey, mm-hmm. and it was a, a bachelor's degree in American history slash minor in social sciences. There was not much I could do with that in Dominica, <laughs> as my mom indicated. So I applied for law school, different places in the U.S., and in, at UE I was preparing to go to the University of Massachusetts when I got accepted for UE also. Mm-hmm. So I decided it was time. It was best to go to UE to be with my mom. So I went to Barbados for three years, and he would in law school for two years, and Three months shy of completing my 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 time in um, Trinidad, she died. Okay. So I remained another three years in Dominica. I was employed at the Office of the Director of Public Prosecutions. Um, my good friend Wayne Noddy was there. He spent a few months when I got there, and then he went into private practice. And Mr. Pestina and I alone, worked together for close to two years prosecuted um, in, in the office of the in the
0: um, public prosecution
2: director of public prosecutions, yes okay. and then we later joined by Miss Nest and then a good friend of mine from St Vincent, a classmate of mine sent me an ad and told me there was, a, an, ad, there was an ad for a public prosecutor in Turks and Kickers Islands so having travelled often and a lot and moved often, I felt there was nothing wrong in moving again. <laughs> no, <laughs> so, so, I so, up. so before, so before <laughs> we get before we go too far forward, there's a couple
0: things I want to stick in, in, in certain points. Um, you would tap to be a drill sergeant. Now, drill sergeant comes with a certain reputation. Uh, yes. So I assume they saw something in your personality to tap you to be a drill sergeant, huh? Because well, people you have that experience of drill sergeant as somebody who is a no nonsense, hard driving type of person.
2: Yeah. <laughs> You're selected either by what you call DA Select, which is Department of the Army Select, mm-hmm. or you can apply. And was in, in this army circle, there is. Is a thing that if you apply to be a drill sergeant, they will automatically make you a recruiter. <laughs> not many, not many people like being recruiters. But um, I, I applied, Were you applied, and uh, <laughs> I was to be a drill sergeant. Yes, and I was really shocked when um and I got to be selected. But yes, they have your electronic records and they review it, and uh, yeah. and then you get selected.
0: No, the reason I brought that up is because and you know, so that there's a certain type of personality that goes into that which also um, you know, says that there's somebody who can command the respect of people and who can, who knows how to deliver others and how to manage um, persons to get them into yes. knock them into shape so, so the fact that you are accepted and you work it's in it, that capacity I guess speaks to that to that, to that, it, to that point no, I I hear you. talking yeah. you have to manage, motivate.
2: Uh-huh. You say you have to. You uh, have to motivate because okay. you meet a lot of people who, after the first week, they were like, "This is not for me. I'm not going to be here." Uh-huh. And um, eventually, you're able to convince them, mm-hmm. them to stay. Um, so it, it was it was one of my greatest developmental um, years. I helped format my years. Uh, it, it gave me a great. Per- of things in life. Being a drill sergeant, it was probably my most um, cherished assignment, and it helped to develop me into who I am today. <laughs> and you say you say
0: that so nice, you know. Yeah, you have to encourage people to stay. That people might want to drop out. I'm sure if I have to interview somebody, <laughs> some of the kids that that you used to drill, I'm sure they might they might look at it from <laughs> <a different, laughs> they might give it to me yeah, from a different angle.
2: I'm sure. But you know, what interesting story. Mm. What interesting story. My first duty, my first cycle of soldiers as a drill sergeant was I picked up work the Tuesday after Liberty in 1995. 1997 it was. And I went to, it was at Fort Jackson. And I went and I was just walking around the company. My colleague introduced me to the, to the platoon of soldiers. And there was this tall guy at the back looking at me, smiling. And uh, so I went up to him and I asked him, you know, is there something about me that makes him smile? And I went up to his ears and I said that. And he said, no, drill sergeant, teacher Mona is your mother. <laughs> 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 I am now shocked because there it is. I'm coming to be a drill sergeant and a, a, a recruit is coming to tell me knows me. Teacher Mona is my mother. And how does he know Teacher Mona, et cetera? Well, when I looked at his last name, his last name was Wallace. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a Wallace family from Wesley, and none of them can be mistaken. Mm -hmm. It is a very, very strong gene pool, that that Wallace family from Wesley. Dave Wallace, Burl Wallace, and these people. Mm -hmm. And then he told me he (laughs) he belonged to that family, uh, that he was in St. Andrews a few years behind me. So I'm like, wow. <laughs> also, when I, went to, <laughs> when I went to my individual training in Fort Benjamin Harrison, I saw a, a, a young lady sitting there, and she kept looking at me and looking at me. And um, having come from an all-male basic training in Fort Knox, and this was my first interaction where it was going to be coed, I'm like, okay, why is she looking up like that? And then she came forward, your last name tag is on your on your top but she says clement what are you doing you know you know local vernacular mm-hmm. i'm like okay so who are you and she was from west <laughs> and um, <laughs> she's still in the army today she moved over from being an enlisted soldier she's now a, a captain
1: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, i think she's in korea now so know, yeah, it was nice i met other dominicans whilst i served in the military I guess so, it was a
0: different time to serve in the military. That it, it was something like it was peace, relatively peaceful times, huh?
2: Well, it was, uh, but in two thousand and two, it was when um, there was the invasion of, um, of of Iraq in two
1: thousand
2: mm-hmm. and two, uh, and Afghanistan, and we know those wars are still, you know, occupying the attention of the United States at this time. So it doesn't really, but but it is, it is in those times, hundreds of thousands of troops were, were deployed. And so, but now it, it is, you know, less. So you can say we're in a, in a more drawback mode now than it was then. So it had its benefits. Um, I went to UE and I had to pay for my first two years because it took me two years to get, University of the West Indies approved by the Veterans Administration. So I got the final year approved. So I didn't have to pay out of my pocket for the final year. And I went on to Trinidad, and it took me two years to get them approved. And when I got them approved, I was leaving. So I never got the benefit from that. But for my fellow veterans, the University of the West Indies law program and the Hewden law program is there for them to take advantage of should they need it. Because you you were able to... um
0: to do all the paperwork that was required, so people coming behind, yes. and would, the process wouldn't take that long.
2: Yes, so I was able to get that.
0: Okay. yeah, that, that, that's an important point that you that you bring. I remember when in '87 um, in something similar, I had a similar experience when I got to my engineering degree. Um, mm. I had A levels. And in order to try to get my, my credits transferred so it wouldn't put me back into, into college algebra. Um, yes. I had to fight so hard for that. And, and, and so the, the, the students that came to, to that college afterwards from the Caribbean um, benefited, really benefited yes. from that. Yeah. So I can identify with that, with that for sure. Um, so, so from talking to you, say you're from the, from Wesley, Wesley Marigot area.
2: Yes,
0: from of, mm-hmm. from a market. A market area in Dominica, and um, yep. and and like you say, you went to, you went to be a drill sergeant, and, and you found people from your <laughs> not only from Dominica <laughs> but from your community, pretty much. Yes, exactly, exactly. It's a it's a small it's a small world, and I, I want is. to segue a little bit. We'll come back to the story of, um, of your of you mm. of you, but I want to segue a little bit um, because, as I said at the top of the program. We, I, I believe in Caribbean unity and it seems like we have so much talent that everywhere else in the world especially the United States and the United Kingdom continue to benefit from but, but the region seems not to be able to harness that yes. potential to a point where it... Um, you know, the people, the life in the Caribbean can benefit from it. What, what is your what, uh, somebody who I show sure I can have experienced some of that, having left and come back and work and all that. What is, what is your impression of of how you know? What's your experience of that coming home and trying to to apply all what you've learned in the military and all of that to to, to try to make a difference in the way things are done in, in the Caribbean? What's what's your impression of that?
2: It, the idea of, uh, of the concept of brain drain is, is one that is, when I say universal, but one of that is Caribbean wide. And uh, the thing about when people go outside the region and they get educated, you, you will find that the persons who are educated outside of the region leave quicker than those who are educated within the region. And that, that is my observation. And one of that is for instance you go outside the region, you incur higher bills. You come to the, you come back to your home and the rate of pay is not in keeping with the bills that you have. So the first opportunity you get to migrate, it's always an easy decision. I believe that.
0: Okay.
2: That does not say that we are not patriotic, we are not nationalistic. I I love Dominica. I go to Dominica as often as they come. I'm just coming from Dominica for a whole month of May. And uh, I mean, I could stay in Dominica if I would get a decent pay. I stayed in Dominica for three years, and the conditions were, were okay. But for instance, three years I worked in the public service, and every six months I got a letter of acting appointment. I, I spoke about that. There were others who graduated school after me and came into public service, and they were appointed before me. They got their letters of appointment before me. And here I was three years, and every six months, I would get a letter from the public service commission. You are, you know, further acting, further acting, state attorney, state attorney, further acting. Uh, so there was, there was no... Incentive really, so moving away was, was easy. But Caribbean governments, I, I'm, I'm not sure if they have any plans really. I can remember some time back, I mean, for instance, you have Cuba, who has been so good to the Caribbean, trained a lot of medical doctors. And for every, I know for Dominica, at least 50% of the Cuban trained doctors have migrated. I don't know what that number would be in the rest of the Caribbean. And uh, lack of employment, unemployment. um, So you have a host of other issues surrounding it. If you look at a story in the Trinidad Express today, uh, where there's a proposal sent to a joint select committee of parliament, we are discussing trying to ban doctors from having private practice. (laughs) once you're employed in public service. And we know that doctors spend a lot of money to go to school and incur large student loans. And they have to pay, they have to service those loans. Young doctors want to live a life. They want to have, you know, the finer things of life. And so it it is difficult for them on a public service salary of which the governments really cannot afford more based on our economies. And uh, as a result, to make up for that, they they go and they they have um, private practice. In Dominica, we got, I think, something like $700 a month as an allowance in lieu of private practice. A bail application, a lawyer in private practice charges $700 for that, a bail application, and that takes all but what an hour. Uh, he also does some land transfer where he gets one or two percent on on that. He also goes to the magistrate court, represents three clients. You know, so those are the things. You know, the, the tug of war that exists between the public service, private practice, and some of that. And um, for me, private practice. I'd love to go into private practice, but I have a moral compass on me that would make it difficult for me to represent certain classes of offense and um so
0: yeah you see yourself being more comfortable on the prosecution side rather than in private i case I, case. I love prosecution
2: because I, I i think i i'm confident i could survive either way mm-hmm. but um as you alluded to earlier joining the police force uh 14 years in the military I'm just kind of law enforcement-minded, right. and uh, to be, being a prosecutor comes more natural than than being a defense, um, than being a defense attorney. So,
0: um, uh, all right. So we'll take, let, let me yes. take, let me take a quick pause here because we are the, we are the bottom of the hour, and for listeners who try and just so we started, I just want to tell them that my guest tonight on this weekend interview. Mr. Clement Joseph, he is a senior, senior public prosecutor of the Tex and Caicos Island. And I'm very happy that he was able to join us tonight on this weekend interview. And we're basically just tracing back the, his career. And I'm hoping that we can pick a little bit of his, on his experience as somebody who's familiar with the laws in the Caribbean. Um, I guess we're under the British system. So again, my guest, um, Clement. Joseph, um, he's originally from Dominica, but he is a senior public prosecutor. the takes some Um so so Clement, before I, before I, we, we did that, you were you were alluding to the fact that you being on the prosecution side seems a more natural fit for you. So tell us a little bit about your job um, for for young aspiring young aspiring lawyers, which you may be <laughs> in law school right now. And maybe trying to decide whether they want to go into litigation and if they want to go in which side. You know, just give a little bit of a, of, a, of an idea of, of what it's like yeah. to be a public prosecutor. you know. You know uh,
2: um, with law, you can do anything. I, ha- I have a niece in um, the British Virgin Islands, and she told me, "Uncle, I wanted to be an interior decorator." So I asked her, "Whose interior are you going to decorate in the British Virgin Islands?" <laughs> so I eventually, <laughs> I eventually convinced her. That she got a scholarship. She went to university in London. Uh, she did a uh, LLB bar school, and she also did a master's degree, and she. she She's not practicing. She works in a, in a trust company, but she has the respect and she, she's able to get a, a decent salary because she has the qualifications. But when it comes to, to litigation, I, a lot of people say that I like to argue, so this is a natural fit for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> you have to have a competitive spirit. Um, you have to read a lot. So that's why most people hear sometimes people say read for the degree of law because it is a lot of reading my eyes have gone bad not because of age but because of reading to so much mm-hmm. and um, so you, you have to read a lot uh, prosecution whether well, either side it, it can come easily and in terms of preparation I did a prosecutorial training course in um, Canada and the Canada the Canadians have three. How could I put it? There are three ways that you can be successful as a lawyer. And uh, Number one, prepare. Number two, prepare. Number three, prepare. <laughs> prepare, prepare, prepare. With right. <laughs> a lot of preparation into it. I, I, I mean, anticipate the other side's, um, what they're coming with. Look at the weaknesses of your case. And if you as a lawyer can see the weaknesses of your case, definitely the other side can see it. So prepare to mitigate that weakness in your case and, and move forward. And so, and so you those are some of the police things. Police I mean, it, the law is a fascinating
1: uh-huh.
0: I, I'm saying as a person, yes, you work very, very closely with the police. And in and your cases and that sort of thing
2: yes we do um, in Dominica we have a host of police prosecutors so police prosecutors prosecute throughout the country and in the courts in Rosa also and me uh, said that mr. Pestian and I alone worked together for quite a while because we only attended um, High court their sizes and sometimes if for instance a police officer is charged or some other Person in society that the police does not, you know, feel they don't have the competence or they want to remove them for conflict, whatever, then we would go down to the magistrate's court. Here in the Turks and Caicos Islands, we, the office of the DPP, we prosecute everywhere. So there are no police prosecutors. So we prosecute traffic, we prosecute indecent language, we prosecute all summary matters, we prosecute all, um, all indictable matters naturally before the Supreme Court. And uh, the difference is there are no preliminary inquiries here. So the the system is streamlined. It goes by quickly. You can be charged with murder in the month of June 2017, and it is possible that your trial comes up in December, by December. Uh, So the system is really, really, yes, the system is really, really working. Whereas there are cases in Dominica, murder cases in Dominica that I was at the office of the director of public prosecutions mm-hmm. when these murders happen and these guys, their trial has still not made it to the, to the high court yet.
0: And that's how many years? And we
2: talked about four years later. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember a guy being charged, a flora guy being charged in um, that village close to Castle Bruce up there um, for, opinion. for, for murder. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, good hope sign, and he still hasn't been been tried. I mean, that, I was that kind of I was person, at law school. Sitting in jail, right? I think he's on bail.
0: Or oh, they bail people for murder. I didn't realize that people would charge. For yes.
2: Oh, yeah, people can get bailed for murder. Okay. Yeah.
0: So, so a situation so, like that. Um. Again, again, we come back to the whole Caribbean. So if, if there is a system, for example, in Turks and Caicos that seems to work differently and maybe more efficiently, I, I, is there like a yes. coordination among the islands where one island can look at what another one is doing and maybe learn lessons or, or compare notes or, or, or anything like that?
2: Well, I don't. The, the, the overseas territories there is more coordination among the overseas territories than with the overseas territories and the rest of the Caribbean. With the exception of Anguilla, Montserrat, and the British Virgin Islands, they uniquely fall under the OECS, Eastern Caribbean Supreme Court. So there will be coordination among them. Mm-hmm. However, the system I just explained that streamlines these trials and gets you to trial real quickly, it is a project that the OECS Court, the Eastern Caribbean Supreme Court, had been advocating for some time before I got to the DPP's office in 2010. And St. Lucia changed their laws as the pilot program. So in St. Lucia, it, it happens like that, as I explained, as it happens here in Turks and Caicos Islands. And the rest of the Eastern Caribbean was supposed to pass legislation to follow suit. And no other island has since taken up the legislation to move forward. So St. St. Lucia has moved forward and it has worked and is working well in St. Lucia. However, the rest of the Caribbean has, has not taken, um, they have not taken it up. Uh, the Chief Justice changed and I, I don't know whether the focus shifted, but um, there has not been any move on part of the rest of the Caribbean or the Eastern Caribbean, OECS rather, mm-hmm. to, um, to go in that direction that is unfortunate I I, I, I don't know <laughs> it, it,
0: you know it, it's frustrating that you hear, you hear stories like that in, 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 in a, several different areas of our lives and, and, yes. and as I said you know uh, I don't think anybody can look at life in the Caribbean and say that we are operating at the level where we're satisfied with the quality of life that we offer to our people and you know, simple things like that make a huge difference. Where persons have a perception that justice is served, because you, you have you have a family that lost a loved one, and everybody has a right to be innocent until proven guilty. But if that period of time extends for four and five years, you wonder, you know, what what kind of justice really that is that is to forget. And and, and you telling me that there's a system, an initiation, many years you know, and that's that's not being implemented. And and I, 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 I uh,
2: there's there's a Pinard guy. Uh-huh. Go ahead. His mom is from 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 Casabrus. Uh uh-huh. Yeah, Pinard guy's mom is from Casabrusie. He, he, he was murdered up at um Wallhouse area up there.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Right. Just they live the right going up to Eugenia on the main road there. Mm-hmm. He was murdered. The accused is a, a lander, lander kid. And I was in Dominica at the time, still in school. And trial still has not happened. Trial still has not happened. So, so what? the what, what system that makes it take that? What is amazing? The system is preliminary inquiries where the... The defense attorneys control. Defense attorneys keep going with um, motions. They keep going with uh, with motions to to adjourn, motions to adjourn, and the magistrates grant it, they grant it, they grant it. I have never heard a magistrate in Dominica say, You will attend this. We have been accommodating for too long, and this matter is going on too long, and we we are going to continue whether your attorney makes it or not. You, Mr. Tony whether you make it or not. Everybody has a right to have a lawyer. And it is almost fatal if you deny them that right. But the case is, I think, a case of Robinson from Jamaica that went to the Privy Council. It says where they have been given a fair opportunity to be represented. And it is the fault of him that he is not properly represented. Then you cannot you cannot blame the system right. because again another case from Jamaica called Flowers that Flowers that went up to um, the Privy Council on abuse and because based on delay because after staying on the system for so long then the person has the the, the right to bring an action to have the matter dismissed or stayed for for based on an abuse of process and that the prosecution has delayed. The trial and the Privy Council in that case said that, you know, you have to take into consideration the local conditions, how long, how slow the system, the wheels of justice flow. And that case was, I think, sometime in the 80s or thereabouts. And what happened recently in a case from Mauritius, the Privy Council, though not totally overturning that case, But they they came up with a new ratio in that they decided that, hey, listen, you as a state, you're not going to blame lack of magistrates, lack of judicial facilities, things that are in your control, you are not going to take them now and blame that for not offering a citizen a fair trial within a reasonable time as dictated by the Constitution. So they're more now putting the onus on states to do what is administratively necessary to move forward and to grant citizens a fair trial within a reasonable time. In
0: a reasonable time. Yeah, because it's not it's not it's not fair for, yes. for, for either person, for, for the victim family or for the accused, because as long as this thing is hanging over your head and you have to go to court, you cannot really move on with your life to know whether you're going to be acquitted or you're going to be sentenced or, or what. And, and, and so I guess the, yes. the, 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 the information that we would be given to the listeners is, is that type of information where persons can start to ask questions and understand what the, what the alternatives are and start to propose those alternatives to the parliamentarians yes. and the governments.
2: Well, what you have to take into consideration, every attorney general in every Caribbean island, hopefully, has practiced at the bar. They have experienced the delays. Mm -hmm. They have complained about the delays. And when they become attorneys general, their eyes are shut. They are no longer advocates of the common man in the street. And attorneys general should go about looking to make legislation, to pass legislation, to streamline the system. Most legislation have been tried and proven in other islands. They have been tested before the courts. So, for instance, the one of the getting rid of preliminary inquiries and have what we call a sufficiency hearing, where in one day a judge looks at the, the, the file and decides there is a prima facie case to be answered or there is not. Right. One day. <laughs> and I'm talking about years, a preliminary inquiry is still carrying on where a magistrate has to decide whether there is a prima facie case. And attorneys general they, they, they have seen these they have heard of them they know of them, and yet there is no legislative will, if you if you may, to 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 enact these measures to get the wheels of justice, you know, moving faster. Because not only are the defendants disadvantaged, there is no finality on the part of the the victims. Yeah of the victims and their loved ones in cases of murder or manslaughter. There there is no, I mean, Mm -hmm. there is is no, absolutely no closure for, I mean, tremendous amount of time. I mean, four, five, seven years, the guy Al Capone, who was convicted, I think, last year or the year before in Dominica, I think 2015 he was convicted. And... He was, <laughs> when he committed the murder, I was in law school. Mm-hmm. I came out from law school. I attended to defend bail. I attended preliminary inquiries. And I left Dominica after that. And his trial didn't take place until 2015. His trial uh, took place. I, I, I lived in Dominica at the
0: time uh, when he was accused. Um, I think- and, and or, or was it because he was a, he, he was accused I think of more than one incident I don't know which one it is that he was tried for, but he was not a young man. So yeah, he was tried
2: for I think killing some tenant of his.
0: Right. Okay. Because after that happened, they said that the manner in which he, that crime was perpetrated pointed to the fact that it seemed like when this um peer girl was murdered, that it seemed to have similar markings right. so he was he was mentioned in that regard but I wasn't sure if he was ever charged for that particular for that,
2: for that act. No I don't think you no he was oh, okay. the but, only one person was charged he was acquitted so, in that TM Right. So so but the point I'm
0: making is that he was not a young man at the time and then was he on bail while they were waiting for um, for trial?
2: No, no no he no he didn't, he never got bail. He never got bail. While um while he was there. Yeah, he was there. Wow. So he stayed in prison until until um, trial.
0: Yeah. So it's he, unfair so, um, for both the for both the defendant and the victim or the family of the victim. It's an an unfair system.
2: Grassland, grassland, fear. I think recently I, I must have read in um in the media where they had set up a, a law review commission in Dominica. And um, I, I'm hoping for meaningful review. Uh, what, what I found surprising was that the the announcement and the push came from the Minister of Justice, or uh, National Security, uh, Mr. Blackmore, mm-hmm. rather than from, from the Attorney General, because... Law review, or law reform, rather, should not only take the place of, I mean, because Dominical laws are referred to as the um, Dominical Revised Laws of 1990. So prior to that, was Dominical Revised Laws of 1961. But it is not just renaming the laws of 1960 and the Revised Laws of 2017. It should be meaningful such as enactment of new legislation, the repealing of, of outdated legislation. I mean, in Dominica, our Evidence Act, and uh, not to be to mislead you or your listeners, but if you give me one second to find our Evidence Act, is so archaic. It is you get it. You cannot kind of find it in the green binder law books of Dominica volumes. You have to go to some brown one that you can find in a library. Wow. And uh, it is it is of 1964 or thereabouts. And that is our Evidence Act. And so much so that much of it statutorily is not even applicable. You have to go back to the common law, etc. We still, for divorces, family law, we still use the Matrimonial Act of the UK of 1973, somewhere there. And the UK has they have amended that Matrimonial Act over and over and over. But you still cannot use any of the amendments. You have to go back to the 1973 Act. And so Dominica on its own could have its own Family Act. Um, so you have to go to court. You have to get a divorce. Then you must go back to court for the division of property. And when you look at Barbados, where when you file a divorce, it is one package. You file for divorce, it includes custody, it includes, um, it includes the, 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 the division of property. So you go to court yeah you go to court one time and you deal with everything. And so we, we definitely need some type of changes to our legislation. That an enactment of new legislation. Let me, ask you, let me ask you a
0: question based on in that regard.
2: The fact that,
0: mm-hmm. uh, like even the OECs, for example, is subjected to the OECs Supreme Court. Shouldn't that, in a sense, mean that there should be a serious move towards the having a uniform set of laws in in the country so that when they get to the to the regional body? It's applicable. It can, it, it can be considered. Means is that not something that that
2: it, we, we operate in a unique environment, pretty much like the EU. In that, whilst oh, there has been legislation that has empowered the the OECs Court or the Eastern Caribbean Supreme Court to have jurisdiction over the islands, however, we are still independent countries and the sovereign. So we have our own laws. So the, law, the judges must interpret each matter in accordance with the, the laws of the, of the of the of the particular island. Wow. Yeah, there has been there have been a lot of um you have you, there are a lot of um legislation that has been harmonized across the Caribbean. Um, you have had people like uh, from the British High Commission where they have sought to improve the laws and harmonize the laws of money laundering and and, and confiscation etc civil forfeiture across the Oecs so they had a wonderful project where they went to, to every island and um, got them to pass legislation to to deal with that but yeah. well, I don't I don't want to the proceeds of crime but
0: I think they need to hurry up and get to Dominica in that case you <laughs> don't have to comment <laughs> on that <laughs> just me that <laughs> I reserve my comment <laughs> yeah but if they have you no know, but I'm serious but the thing about it is that you have these governments who will never who, or not never but will be very reluctant to participate and to and to seriously adopt those types of rules and those types of regulations speaking of which I want to jump to another yeah. aspect of that where I always wonder I don't know if, you, if, if if you can shed some light on that um when you get a passport from Dominica for example right now it says it's a it's a Caricom passport. But however yes. it's a Dominica passport. So how can it be a Caricom passport if it's a Dominica passport because each island seems to have their own applicant their
2: own things for their passport. So how can it be the same um, passport? Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I I think that is more cosmetic than than you know. Than substance, huh? It's more com- cosmetic than than, yeah, than substance because they all have the Caricom logo on them. So every passport has the Caricom logo on them, but then the coat of arms um, appear on the on the front, which and the Isle of Country. And so we say we have a, 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 a Caricom passport and. <clears throat> One of the biggest differentiation from having a caricom passport is the old passport that person's have them. And these now are machine-readable. So you're able to, um, when you go to any, you know, port, they have these readers where they could pass it. And when I worked immigration office, everybody who came in, I had to the ED card that you fill out. I had to sit in and write that in a big book. (laughs) So when the flights left, I had to do all these entries, and I went to Dominica, and the guys just scanned that and they can just run a report. So, naturally, I was envious of them not having to, you know, write down all this information again. So, I, I don't think, I, I mean, a CARICOM passport, it doesn't,
0: it just bears the
2: logo of CARICOM. Right.
0: You know, the, yeah. re- the reason yeah, I'm asking that it. is because so many of the islands sell their passports. So, I always wonder. And, and there's, there's not a uniform set of rules or uniform price or anything in that effect. So if we have a passport that's supposed to be <laughs> common for all the islands, how can Dominica sell their passport for, in one way and send kids yeah. in another way? And uh, so
2: that is that was something. Uh, I was talking you, you're talking about this. You, you're going to go to a sore point called the CBI. Uh, I think Dominica I refers to it CBI as CBI.
0: Fast sale of passports because there's no investment. That I could
2: decipher. Despite despite being a citizen, mm-hmm. despite being a citizen entitled to your opinion, anybody who comes out against the selling of passports are considered traitors to the country, especially in Dominica. Um, the selling of passports, personally, if I had, if I could, I would not. Allow my passports from Dominica to be to be uh, citizenship to be given that way. Let me ask you a question. I don't know if you personally. I don't
0: yeah. know if you're familiar with, with what what's. Are there okay? So for example, in the U.S., they have specific guidelines as to how you can become a citizen of the United States. Um, so you, you your parents mm. are the United States citizen. If you live, if you have um, legal residence for five years, you can apply. If you're married to a citizen, and so on and so forth. Are you aware mm-hmm. or familiar if we have similar type um, regulations or laws or anything Does it, in Dominica where it, where it says what is the process by which someone can become a citizen of the country?
2: Well, first, the, the, um, the, the Constitution in um, Section 97 tells us where, uh, it gives us the route of citizenship, and then it allows the um, parliament to make subsidiary laws as far as citizenship is concerned. Mm. So if you give me a second, let me just get the Constitution and Section 97 first to just look at the groundwork that it has set. Mm. Um, (laughs) Section 97 says that every person who has been born in Dominica is immediately before the comment who haven't been born in Dominica before the commencement of this constitution, which we know came into effect on 3rd November. Mm-hmm, Once you were born, they became a citizen. Right. And then it says that everybody who immediately before the constitution who are a citizen of the U- United Kingdom and its colonies and who naturalized as Dominicans before the act came, the British National- Nationality Act. Mm-hmm. they would also become a citizen of Dominica. And it, then the, one of the most controversial parts of that constitutional provision is Section 3, sorry, 98. It says, Section 98, it says that if you were born in Dominica after the commencement of the Constitution, and your peer, sorry, out of Dominica, and your parents were Dominicans, and you were born in a place that was not a colony, you cannot get um, citizenship. Oh, really? So it says, section 99 says, "A person born outside Dominica after the commencement of the Constitution shall become a citizen. But if you were born before the citizens before independence and you, you were born to a sovereign, in a foreign sovereign power, you were not a citizen of Dominica. So, like my sister was born before the Constitution and she was born in Guadeloupe. She carried a Dominican passport for years. She changed her passport over 10 times. And when finally I went to renew her passport in 2000 and something, when I was in Dominica, I was told, hey, she was born in Guadeloupe, so she's not a citizen. So she must naturalize. So I had to go through the whole process of having her naturalized, which ended up changing her name. Wow. From what she was known. Yet, father, there was a priest in Dominica who was born in Aruba who should have had to. They had the same thing. And there was such an outpouring of support for him that he got all of that wavered and he got his passport. You know? So...
0: Coffee, I think it was, yeah. So... So it's saying that if, prior, <laughs> if prior to 1978, whether your parents are Dominican or not, if you were not born in a Commonwealth nation, um, to to make it broad, if you were not born in a Commonwealth a, nation, a, you, a colony, yeah, you would not, um, you could not become a citizen. Okay, so, okay, so and then they have the usual things like if you marry, if you marry to a Dominican, you can apply for naturalization.
2: Yeah. So section it's um it's Act. 110, chapter 110, mm-hmm. that tells you all the, the the conditions acquisition of citizenship. So it says we're under a law enforcing dominica uh, adoption of children. They can become a citizen by adoption, mm-hmm. uh, by registration, and uh, naturalization. And it, it sets all the criteria that you must meet. For instance.
0: Is there a, a period of five resident.
2: years. Okay, resident. Yes, it, it gives that. So chapter 110 gives that. Now, if you go to the Dominica website for the laws, you will see there are amendments to that. <laughs> there are amendments to that act um, quite a few times. Mm-hmm. And one such amendment talks about the Common for Dominica Citizenship by Investment Amendment that deals with how these uh, citizens by investment can come about, so well, we, we have quite a few different things as to how you can become a okay. yes. I
0: wonder, I always wonder about that because I know like, people like to compare the sale of passports in the Caribbean to, say for example, the United States as, a, as an investment program. But in the United States if you invest there's certain if you meet the criteria and invest you get residency. You don't get citizenship right away. You get residency and then you qualify for citizenship from my But yes, you get residency
2: which is a pathway to citizenship. Eventually you get citizenship. But the thing is for instance, these people don't get that residency by investing in it in in, um in in the United States and staying five miles five hundred thousand miles away. Right. They have to go to the United States and become and citizens. So great. if they get the H one H B two visa, whether you're an engineer, whether you're a medical doctor, or some short, you know, highly skilled person, you have to move to the United States and contribute to the United States. So they say that's what makes the United States great. But we have people who apply passports, and they they have never been to Dominica,
0: and they become instant. The
2: only contribution is the yes. The only contribution is that two hundred thousand dollars, you know, so if you pay the two hundred thousand dollars, you must come to Dominica and reside for five years and you must make some kind of input, some kind of contribution to the building of the nation to grant you citizenship. Mm -hmm. That's
0: what I I believe as
1: well.
2: So how can we have same rights? I was born in Dominica, I I paid taxes in Dominica, and I worked in Dominica, I helped to develop Dominica, and you pay two hundred thousand dollars of which I may have contributed in my lifetime more than that to the development of Dominica, and you pay two hundred thousand dollars, and you're instant Dominican with the same rights and privileges as I do.
0: Yeah, so so I guess I guess um, both of us have the same same thought when it comes when it comes to that. Um, but we we we're knocking up against the uh, till we've gone past the end of the hour. So, I'm going to give you the opportunity to just, you know, um, I really I know a few young people who who are thinking of taking up law. Um, I, I would like you to spend the next couple of 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 minutes just talking about what it means to you to be an attorney, especially an attorney who is enforcing, not on the on enforcement side, who's contributing to law and order, and on the enforcement side, and just you know. Um, take us take us to the end of the show. Yeah.
2: <laughs> all right. Well, f- first, I want to I, I, I know some of my friends probably will listen. Attorney will always say that. I, I, so I will correct your statement because even as a defense attorney, they are contributing also to, to the rule of really law really and order. Because you know, <laughs> I, I I wasn't suggesting that. At all. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I, I, so I'll, I'll be clear. I'll declare on, on on your behalf Thank that you they that contribute. That was, that was but being an attorney, right? Okay, yeah. being an attorney is, is is we say it's a noble profession and it, it is it is a necessary profession. We have people who say, "Well, why do you represent murderers and and top criminals?" And until it hits home, where one of their relatives uh, is or are accused of some offence. And the first person they run to is a lawyer for representation. Um, So a lawyer is a person in society who looks out for the rights of others. Because even as an individual, at times I have felt that something wrong has happened to me. And people, whilst I sit down and I study the law, um, ordinary citizen goes about his business and does not study the law. And some employer, the government, a fellow citizen has wronged them. And they know to themselves that that may be wrong. But what is the course of action? They're not sure. So that is where the, the, the attorney comes in. I mean, like everything else, in every barrel, there is always one or two bad apples that can bring some steam on the, on the, on the profession. But I, I, I dare say that is far. You know, in between where you, where you get that sort of thing. So it is a matter of getting in there, finding a niche, um, whether you like corporate law, you like immigration law, you like money um, laundering, you like criminal prosecution, whatever it is. Yeah, some people prefer not to go to court uh, they, because they're too shy and they don't like to argue. So they rather sit in corporate, in the corporate world and, um, and uh, they work at banks. They work at, you know, universities. So, but it, it, is, it is a degree that gives you a lot of flexibility as to what you can do. You can, you can teach. Um, from 2011, I've been lecturing for the University of West Indies open campus online. In the, it was face-to-face when I was in Dominica. They have a paralegal program. So I do criminal law, criminal practice and procedure, contract law, and the um, yeah, contract law. So I do those two, two those courses, and it okay, helps to keep me sharp. The students who do the paralegal program, some of them have gone on to the different law program, which has piqued their interest. Because okay, so. Being in law is a great thing, so tell <laughs> and I would encourage every and anybody although, is,
0: to get involved. Talk a little bit about what it's like, because we see these things on TV all the time, you know, I know it's dramatized, but, you know, there's a, there's a case going on and you're the prosecutor and you come up to the front of the court and you you have to face off that defendant and and to get to, to obtain your objectives, I guess, which is to, to prove to the jury or the judge, or whoever it is. Yeah. Give us a little bit of an insight of what that feels like, how you prepare for well, it, what it feels like when you're actually doing that examination or cross-examination.
2: Cross-examination, well, in the, in the U.S. And the, and the Caribbean, we have different courtroom procedures. In that, in the U.S., the the lawyer can walk up to the jury, right at the jury, stare them in the eyes, drop a tear, you can go up to the defendant or to the witness. In the Caribbean you're stuck at the bar table. Um, (laughs) Cross-examination in in cross-examination of a defendant is a prosecutor's dream because it is there that you can raise lots of inconsistencies and the preparation has to call for knowing outside of the box. If you confine yourself to the evidence in the file your cross examination is already doomed to fail. So you must go out, you must talk to people, you must, like when Dominique, we say, we call something a Beth, you know, which is a, a young cow, but which is actually a gossip. So, to every case, to every case, there is a gossip. Because a man will not just walk down the road, meet another man, and slap him in his face or take a, a, a machete, a cutlass, and cut him. It's not going to happen like that. There is a background story. Mm-hmm. you know. So as a prosecutor, you must know that background story to aid you in your cross-examination. Um, in Dominica, uh, the defendant at the end of the case, the prosecution case, he has three options. He can stay in the dock and say nothing. He can stay in the dock and make an unsworn statement. Or he can go to the witness stand, and give evidence on the oath where he can cross-examine If he stays in the dock and he makes an, on, a statement unsworn, you cannot cross-examine him. Now, I think that is unfair to the prosecution, because he would have sat there for days, heard the prosecution's case, and then tell the jury a story to fit his narrative. Um, in the Turks and Caicos Islands, I came and I was very happy to find that, that it was abolished in the Turks and Caicos Islands. So you either put up or shut up. You either go to the under oath and say what you have to say and face cross-examination, or you stick there and say nothing. So, as a prosecutor, I, I mean, you're happy when, when a defendant goes to the stand because you, you're just waiting.
1: <laughs>
2: and then they kind of disappointed when they invoke their rights and make life more difficult for you to prove your case.
0: Right. And so... I mean, the competitive spirit that you say that you have, I'm pretty sure um, that you do accomplish your objective of successful prosecution more often than not, right?
2: Yes, more often than not. Um, the facts, <laughs> one guy told me about the facts are not sub And um, But anyway, the facts The facts bear, the numbers bear them out. Uh, uh, up here, I've had an over 80% rate of of conviction. Wow. Um, some of them, some of them, you know, I can say why I'm not going to, you know, impugn anybody's character, but some of them fall through for different reasons. I have my reasons why they have fallen through when I when I believe in it. Um, i had some cases where, uh, one case rather, I was really troubling. I did not want to prosecute, I did not believe in the case, but anyway, that was on my directions. The guy was found guilty. To my surprise, uh, but <laughs> an appeal was in the case so his appeal was allowed.
0: Right. Oh, so so you do you do get to exercise your consciousness, your conscience to a certain extent. Because people, people have a really bad lawyers get a bad rep. You know, people the most common case yes. is that lawyers <laughs> are liars and you know so so Let's, let's close the interview with you. Let's say going to bat for your profession and, and talk to, the, I guess people say that, but as you said, the first thing they do when they're in trouble is run to a lawyer. But in general, lawyers are lumped with politicians as being automatic and habitual liars and, and people who have no conscience and, and all of that kind of thing. So, so let's, let's close out the interview with you just. Defending your profession and Hello. making somebody understand how somebody, I know you don't do that, but somebody comes in front of you and you have mm-hmm. to defend them or you have to prosecute them, even if, because that's your job and that is what the, the people have a right to representation or the defendant have a right to, defend, or to, to representation. Let's just talk about that whole aspect of lawyering that people look at and, and come to look at. Oh, yes. as lawyers are well a, a right. inferior.
2: Uh, l- People go, yeah.
0: People refer to lawyers
2: as liars. Clients lie. Lawyers don't lie. Because Mm -hmm. when a, a client who commits an offense will not go to the lawyer and tell them the true facts, the same lie they tell in court is the same lie they would have told the lawyer. The court of appeal will overturn a decision if a client says, that this is what I told the lawyer was my defense and the lawyer refused mm-hmm. to put that defense in court. Because as a lawyer, you're going to figure out fa- fact from fiction. Mm-hmm. And here's a client giving you a story. And you're going to say, man, that doesn't sound true. I cannot go there and make a defense based on that. However, the court of appeal will overturn that decision and say, incompetent counsel if the lawyer refuses to put the defense given to him by his client. So when the lawyer says, well, no, on that day, you did that and you did that, and tell the police officer you were lying because you beat my client, the lawyer wasn't there. Why are you calling the lawyer a liar? That is what he was told. Because it is the same thing when I get a case file and I'm told that this is how the events went down. That is how I have to go represent it in court. I wasn't there. So why am I the one that is being called a liar? At the court of appeal earlier this week, uh, it was last week, there was a guy that I prosecuted. He got 10 years for grievous bodily harm. During the trial, we had good conversations. And from he got convicted, he's applied for bail. His appeal came up. So I came and I said hi to him. His mother, his mother was visiting with him and like they wanted to cut my neck. So I said, just listen, just hear me out for once. You had a problem with Mr. Parker. He reported you to the police. You are not mad at Mr. Parker. The police arrested you, you are not mad at the police. A magistrate heard your matter and committed you for trial in the high court. In high court, You are not mad at the magistrate. The, the judge found it was a prima facie case that you should go to trial. You are not mad at that judge. Seven jurors, your local, your peers, found you were guilty. You are not mad at them. The judge sentenced you to 10 years imprisonment. You are not mad at them. Why are you mad at Clement Joseph? <laughs> and they laughed. I laugh. They laughed. And then he said, Yeah, he said, You're the one that told them to send me to prison. <laughs> <laughs> you do not that. And it. I'm like, right. Yes, I have the one who said, send him to prison, find him guilty, find him guilty. And I'm like, you found guilty in the facts of the case. You created the facts of the case. I didn't leave where I was and came here to say that, let me go pick you out and put you in prison. So lawyers are not liars. Lawyers are advocates, and they advocate for people. They make representation on behalf of people. So if I am sitting in my office, something happens in Marigot, and I'm sitting in my office in Ruzo, and you come to me and you said, these are the events. This is the chronology of the events. These are how things went down. When I go to court, every prosecution witness who takes the stand, I must cross-examine them in line with what you have told me. And then you hear the victims go out there and they say, Whose lawyers lying? They say this and they say that. That's where that thing came from, to say that lawyers lying. When lawyers suggest to them alternative facts according to to, to Trump. Alternative facts. <laughs> alternative facts. <laughs> they're accused of lying. Let's, let's leave it there. My colleagues are not
0: uh-huh,
2: go ahead. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so they're not lying. That's just all that that's just what it is. I like the way you <laughs> so I th- I, th- I hope I've made out that case. On behalf of my
0: colleagues. I, I think you had your case from the opening. You said the lawyers are not liars. The clients <laughs> were liars. <laughs> so we have to we are the long Of course. <laughs> but God, let me just say... I
2: want to thank you for having me, man. I wish we could talk and talk and talk. But um, no. sometime in the future, at some years from now, we'll revisit the scene.
0: <laughs> certainly, certainly. And I want to say I'm so, I'm so happy and, and delighted that you were able to, to be on this weekend interview, I think we had a really good conversation. We learned a lot. Um, you have accomplished a lot, so let me right. say congratulations to you. And you're still a, a young man, so there's still we still have yeah. eyes on you, and, and, <laughs> and we keep and uh, continue admiring your achievements. So so all the best, and, and thank you. I hope
2: our grammar school friends like Teddy Breedy yeah. and, um, and Nathaniel Isaac and. Philip Eugene and <laughs> Alfia Seraphine and the whole grammar school crew. Uh, Waiki and all these guys.
0: Yeah. We should have a big reunion one day. We were, we were, um, <laughs> we, we were a, special, a special crew. Um, there is there is a movement yes. to try to do a reunion. I know there was a reunion at 83. Um, I also graduated in 84 because I went back for another year in high school because I missed all my... I missed okay all, Yeah. So I do. I'm part of 80. I'm straddling 83 and 84. So the 84 students are trying to plan a, a reunion for next year. Um, but there are some okay. on there as well, like Mac Morris and so on, who were also 83. And so maybe you know Bruce, okay. those guys. Um, but but I want to say thank you so much for no for being on this weekend interview and thank you for sharing your experience with us. I, I think my audience will agree that this was. A very informative um, interview, and one of the things I like to do is I like to highlight something of my interview that that I like to say it's an action, an action like a homework then, and where I want to go is yes. to encourage the listeners who from the different islands to to find out a little bit more about the laws that we talk about, especially that one where we could streamline the process for which. Cases move through our legal system to get them heard quicker and yes. more efficiently so that justice can be better served. Find out more about it and yes. contact your power Palmer, contact your, your, your justice minister, contact your attorney general and let's see if we can get some attention to that aspect of it and get some movement and become familiar with the laws, become familiar with the, with the law review process and, and let's see if we can um, influence a little bit of that aspect of our lives in the Caribbean. So Clement, one more time, I want to say thank you, and I wish you all the best. Thank you. Awesome.
2: Thank you, Aaron. Yeah. Okay, great. All
0: right. So listeners, there you had it. I think you'll agree with me. Another tremendous conversation on this weekend interview. Um, another shout-out to my audience. Um, some of you who have listened for the first time, I hope I've convinced you that this is worth listening to on a Wednesday. Um, well, the shows that you missed or if you missed anything on this show you can go to the website usually by the next day, by Thursday we have the, the podcast up on the website we have quite a few interesting conversations on there we have some health issues we have some political and social um, uh, interviews on there and some personality interviews as well like tonight where we talk about people and their achievements and, and what we can learn from them so go on to tdnradio.net Check out the archives. Um, if you listen, if you listen to us on mobile, you can also, um, download the app. You can get us on TuneIn, the Tuning app, but also you have the TDN radio app on the, on the iPhone, um, app store, as well as the, the Play Store, the Samsung, um, the Android Play Store. So you can go there, check it out, download it. But we do this every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. So I'll see you next Wednesday. Um, we have another interesting, episode of this week in interview, and i like to call it episode because we sound like a soap opera, maybe installment um, of this week in interview, and in the meantime, have a great week, Uh, Sunday is Father's Day, so all of you fathers, make sure that the mothers recognize you for for your fatherhood, for making them mothers, actually, and um, I will see you next week Wednesday. Uh, good night to our producer and engineer Sam Always doing good to keep our mics live um, On Friday I know if you're in the New York area um, TDN Radio should be carrying live a conversation with um, I'm not doing the interview but I'll be carrying it live on TDN Radio I think there's um, the gentleman visiting and he wants to talk about the um, the, the passport sale program They call it Citizen by Investment but it's the passport sale program um, that they have going on there where, um, is the main income earner in the country, unfortunately. Um, so yeah. if you look at, take a listen if you're in New York area, attend, ask your questions, come defend it or come get more informed about it. Um, but it's, it's going to take place at 7.30. I'll try to see if I can get some more detailed information so I can post it on the Facebook page. So for those of you who want to find out where it is. But in the meantime, let me just say good night and I will see you next week, Wednesday when we do another episode of this weekend interview. So good night and happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there.